Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and I may have a bit of a sugar high from all the leftover Halloween candy. I'm Ellen, and I'm just high. On life! For reals this time, though, I am totally sober. Uh-huh. Did you bring any candy with you? Share the wealth! Hook me up! Only what's still in my belly. Okay, I definitely don't need you to share that. Didn't think so. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 31, the third task, and the corresponding film scenes. Dementors still don't fly, but fake ones do tend to trip. Fleur found her first place fantasy foiled by foliage flagellum. Crumb and his cataracts were no match for Cedric's Expelliarmus. Harry became a master in the art of the asshole. Boggart's sphinxes and giant spiders need better Hollywood representation. And when you try to out-nice a Hufflepuff, the best you can hope for is a tie. During episode 106, Half Cat Attacks, our Potter pondering was, how do you feel about the lack of creatures in the movie version of The Maze? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Might as well continue the madness because that's what this shit is. Wow, really? All of the tasks revolved around creatures and we only got one. One. A couple of mermaids that didn't do shit and one dragon. Wow. I'm tired of these people. It doesn't make sense to me. Why was he so obsessed with raging herbal supplements that were somehow toxic and poisonous, had everybody in the maze high and confused? Like, he literally dug within the depths of his creative being and pulled this shit out when he had plenty of stuff to go by. Plenty. Way more interesting than raging, toxic, Herbal supplements. I'm really, really done here. The Sphinx would have been really nice. But no, we got some bushes, y'all. Bushes. Hi, it's me, the one, the only Quincy Tyree. Here's my issue, right? The lack of creatures in the movie, it was very disturbing because what the fuck was it like the maze coming alive what the fuck was that like seriously what was that they could have done so many other things even if they weren't going to put the creatures from the book into the movie they could have done so many other things they could have had different flying creatures um flying down they could have put the mentors in there they could have done any number of things they didn't even have to use cgi they could have used animatronics anything but no, they want to be lazy and make the maze come alive. How much money did that cost them? I bet it would have been cheaper to do animatronics. I was looking forward to like the sinks and all those other things, but you know, they just stuck their hand inside my chest, ripped out my beating heart and stomped on it. That's what they did. But anyways, I guess that's just movie magic. Fucking Newell. 
Hi, guys. It's Juliana, your Ravenclaw merch queen. First time calling in. This is the first thing that really irritated me when I first saw it in theaters, is how the maze was nothing like it was in the book. The book was incredible. There was so much to explore, and there were so many cool creatures. And then they gave us an enchanted hedge. Yeah, I was not happy with that, especially since looking back, the whole riddle with the Sphinx was my first clue at being a Ravenclaw. So I would have loved to see what it actually was in the movie, like it was in the book. And rant. Bye. Thank you so much for calling in your responses. And for posting them on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Our trivia question last week was, what are Voldemort's first words after he steps out of the cauldron? Unlike in the movie, when the entire cauldron just magically turns into a fully blown Voldemort and a magical mist forms robes over him to keep it at a PG-13 rating, an apparently nude book Voldemort steps out of the man-sized cauldron and says, Robe me. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley! Woohoo! He said that he needs to make sure people know who holds the streak. Oh, wow. He's got to remind him that he's still there. Them's fighting words. Right? I'm looking forward to this battle royale between him and Jackson. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. For now, let's just keep rolling into chapter 32, Flesh, Blood, and Bone, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 32, Flesh, Blood, and Bone. Harry's feet slam into the ground and his injured leg gives way, causing him to fall forward. He's finally able to release the Triwizard Cup and lifts his head to look around, wondering out loud where they are. Cedric responds by shaking his head as he gets off the ground and helps Harry up. The two boys have clearly left Hogwarts grounds, and since the surrounding mountains are completely gone, they must have traveled miles and miles away. They are standing in a dark and overgrown graveyard with a small church visible in the distance, beyond a large yew tree on their right. There is also a hill to the left, and Harry can just make out the outline of a fine old house on the hillside. Cedric asks Harry if anyone told him the cup was a port key. Harry tells him no, and wonders if this is all part of the task. Cedric nervously says he doesn't know, and suggests they get their wands back out. Within seconds, they hear someone coming and squint through the darkness to see a figure drawing closer. Harry can't make out their face because of a hooded cloak, but can tell that the short person appears to be carrying something. As they get closer, Harry can see that the thing in the person's arms looks like a baby or a bundle of robes. He lowers his wand and glances towards Cedric, who looks back at him confused. For a second, they both look at the figure, and then, without warning, Harry's scar explodes in pain. Harry drops to his knees and loses his grip on his wand as he hears a high, cold voice say, Kill the spare. A second voice screeches, Avada Kedavra, and a blast of green light blazes through Harry's closed eyelids. He hears something heavy fall to the ground as the pain in his scar becomes so intense he retches. It then diminishes, and Harry opens his eyes, afraid of what he will see. Cedric is lying spread eagle on the ground, dead. For a second, Harry just stares in shock at him, then feels himself being pulled to his feet. The short man in the cloak had put down his bundle to start dragging Harry to a marble headstone. 
In the flickering wand light, he reads Tom Riddle just before he's slammed against it. The cloaked man begins conjuring cords to tie Harry from his neck to his ankles to the headstone. When Harry struggles, the man hits him with a hand that has a finger missing, and Harry realizes it's Wormtail. He gasps, you! But Wormtail ignores him as he finishes tightening the cords. Once Harry is bound to the point that he can't even move an inch, Wormtail draws some fabric out of his cloak and stuffs it in the boy's mouth before walking away. Harry can only see what is directly in front of him. Cedric's body, the Triwizard Cup just beyond that, and his wand at Cedric's feet. The bundle Harry thought was a baby is stirring fretfully, and Harry watches it, feeling another pain in his scar and knowing that he doesn't want to see what's in those robes. He hears noises at his feet and glances down to see a giant snake slithering through the grass around the headstone. Harry hears Wormtail coming back and then sees him, pushing a large stone cauldron to the foot of the grave. He lights flames under it as the robed bundle stirs more persistently and the snake slithers away. The liquid in the cauldron heats extremely fast, with the surface bubbling and sending out fiery sparks. Harry hears the high, cold voice say, Hurry! And as the whole surface alights with sparks, Wormtail tells his master that it is ready. The cold voice says, Now! And Wormtail pulls open the robes, revealing an ugly, slimy, and blind, crouched, childlike figure. But it is a dark, raw, reddish-black with thin, feeble legs and a flat, snake-like face that has gleaming red eyes. It raises its thin arms and puts them around Wormtail's neck as he lifts it. Wormtail's hood falls back and Harry sees a look of revulsion on the man's face as he carries the creature to the cauldron. He lowers it into the sparking liquid, and Harry pleads in his head for it to drown. Wormtail begins speaking, saying, Bone of the father, unknowingly given, you will renew your son. As he uses his wand to crack the surface of the grave and magics a trickle of dust into the cauldron. He begins whimpering as he pulls out a long silver dagger and says, Flesh of the servant, willingly given, you will revive your master. He holds up his hand, missing a finger, and Harry closes his eyes as Wormtail slices off his hand. Harry can't block out Wormtail's piercing scream and hears the sickening splash of the cauldron. He still can't bear to look, but can see through his closed eyelids that the potion is now a burning red color. Wormtail then approaches Harry, and gasping in pain, he continues speaking, saying, Blood of the enemy, forcibly taken, you will resurrect your foe. Wormtail's dagger cuts into Harry's arm, and he catches some blood in a glass vial. He pours the contents into the cauldron, and the potion instantly turns to a blinding white. Wormtail then collapses to the ground sobbing, and Harry watches as the cauldron simmers, hoping it drowned, hoping it went wrong. But all of a sudden, the sparks go out, and white steam begins billowing from the cauldron, obscuring Harry's vision as he continues to inwardly plead that it went wrong. But through the mist, Harry sees the dark outline of a tall and thin man rising from the cauldron. He feels an icy surge of terror as the high cold voice says, Robe me, and a sobbing worm tail fetches the black robes from the ground and pulls them one-handed over his master's head. The thin man steps out of the cauldron and stares at Harry, who stares back into the white face, 
with livid scarlet eyes and snake-like slits for nostrils that had haunted his dreams for the past three years. Lord Voldemort has risen again. The movie section starts out with Harry and Cedric hitting the ground hard after the Triwizard Cup transports them out of the maze. Cedric lies on his back and grimaces as he asks if Harry is okay. Harry slowly stands and looks around as he tells him that he is and returns the question. The camera view switches to a wide angle as Cedric gets to his feet and the two boys look around a dark and foggy graveyard. Cedric wonders where they are as Harry cautiously approaches a very familiar statue of the Grim Reaper and declares that he has been there before. Not paying attention to what Harry said, Cedric kneels down next to the cup and acknowledges it's a portkey. Slightly more panicked, Harry reiterates that he's been there before, in a dream. He approaches the gravestone next to the statue and traces his fingers over the letters that spell out Tom Riddle. Even more concerned, he tells Cedric that they need to get back to the cup now. The older boy wants to know what Harry is talking about, but the only response he gets is Harry's scream in pain as he clutches his scar. He again tries to say that they have to get back to the cup, but they are out of time. The camera cuts to show what is left of Voldemort wrapped in a blanket, held by Wormtail. Cedric points his wand at them and asks who they are and what they want, and Voldemort orders Wormtail to kill the spare. Without hesitation, Wormtail points his wand at Cedric and says, Avada Kedavra. Harry screams no as Cedric is thrown backward by the green light. He twists through the air and lands on his back once more, this time dead. The camera focuses on him as the green light fades away and cuts back to Wormtail, who is now pointing the wand at Harry. He uses it to force him to stand up and magics him back towards the Grim Reaper statue, which moves and binds Harry in place with its scythe. Harry struggles against it as Voldemort orders Wormtail to do it now, and Wormtail turns his attention to a giant steaming cauldron. He unravels the blanket and drops the shrunken, childlike, but creepy form of Voldemort into the cauldron, where he disappears under the surface with a splash. Wormtail then begins an incantation, saying, Bone of the Father, unwillingly given. As he points his wand at a grave that says Thomas Riddle and levitates a bone from it and into the cauldron with another splash. He then tucks his wand away and says, Flesh of the servant, willingly sacrificed, and pulls out a knife. He raises it in the air over his right hand. He screams and Harry cringes as Wormtail slices off his hand, right into the cauldron. He then turns his attention and the knife towards Harry and approaches him, saying, Blood of the enemy, forcibly taken, and uses the knife to slice Harry's robes and cut into his forearm to collect some blood. Dripping the blood into the cauldron, he declares that the Dark Lord shall rise again and runs off as the cauldron catches fire. The flames engulf the entire thing from the ground up until the cauldron completely disappears. As they fade, all that is left is an adult-sized form of the twisted body that went into the cauldron, floating in a ball in midair. The form continues to take shape and uncurl as black smoke billows around it and transitions into black robes around a fully regenerated Voldemort. As he feels his head, he takes a deep breath and opens his eyes. Wormtail slowly approaches him, looking awed, and Voldemort gives a slight laugh of triumph and takes a step towards his servant. I think this was one of the shortest chapters that I have had to summarize in about three books. Yeah, what's also impressive is the fact that they are overall very similar. I mean, this might be a short episode, folks. It will be as long as it needs to be. 
okay. <laughs> Let it never be said that I can't fill time. <laughs> there is that. So. <laughs> In the book, the two boys land from the port key, and this time Harry can use his injured leg as an excuse for falling on the landing. Sure. He lets go of the quad wizard cup and looks around, wondering out loud where they are. This is both similar and different in the movie, if you can believe that. Yep. <laughs> in the movie, Harry and Cedric hit the ground hard after being thrown an unknown amount of space by the quad wizard cup. Cedric lies on his back and grimaces as he asks if Harry is okay. Quite the departure from his little air jog on the way down to the Quidditch World Cup, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Also further justifies Harry's landing, I think. Right? There you go. Harry slowly stands and looks around as he tells him that he is and returns the question. Oh, Toto, I don't think we're in Hogwarts anymore, to say the least. Right? So obviously, one difference here is the fact that Harry does not have an injured leg. No. Because there was no spider in to the injure maze it, right? to injure it. Exactly. <laughs> There was no anything in the maze to injure it. I mean, maybe a root could have grabbed it and snapped it for him, he, but it he, didn't. He could have tripped on a root, but he didn't. I think we know the root of the problem here. No, Ellen. I'm not having this from you today. Oh, I'm going to get you to pun today. I am. <laughs> we'll see about that. Cedric gets to his feet and they look around one of the worst places to be stuck when you have no signal and only 5% battery left on your phone. Mm-hmm. Cedric wonders where they are as Harry cautiously approaches an all-too-familiar Grim Reaper statue and says he has a mad case of deja vu. And there's another difference, because Book Harry did not recognize the place, as he only dreamed about the general area once, and Movie Harry kept visiting the place in his dream, getting a really good look at the graveyard. Yeah, it was like four dreams right? in the movie. It's like that place was important. It's almost like they were trying to tell us something. Right? Weird. How'd we not pick up on that? Huh. <laughs> in the book, Cedric doesn't know where they are, and they can tell that Dorothy and Toto definitely aren't in Hogwarts anymore since the surrounding mountains are completely gone. In the movie, Cedric just isn't paying attention to what Harry said. Like, at all. Not even a little. No. Instead, he kneels down next to the cup and acknowledges that it's a port key. No shit, Diggory. Like, really? With a brain like that, how are you not in Ravenclaw, my guy? How indeed. <laughs> but what is the same is that in both the book and the movie, the Port Key Quad Wizard Cup brought them to a graveyard. Mm -hmm. That's the same. We should have a bell every time something's the same. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we're not going to have a lot of bells going on from here. <laughs> nope. But in both the book and the movie, they are in a graveyard. Ding! Ding! <laughs> There's your bell right there. In the book, they mention a church visible in the distance beyond a large yew tree on their right, which always makes me wonder if it's the same yew tree that Voldemort's wand was made from. I feel like I want that to be true. Right? We know that Ollivander is the one who made the wand. Like, he's the one who picked the yew. The odds of him going to that particular yew tree is probably slim. But since the wand chooses the wizard... It mm -hmm. seems entirely possible that he's just like, oh, this is a fine old yew tree. It'll make a great wand. Yeah. Maybe he goes and hunts bow truckles to find them in wand trees. It just feels like such a weird tidbit to throw in there. Right. I mean, of all kinds of trees you could have had, you have the one tree that Voldemort's wand is made, is from. made from. That's a little odd. I don't think it's a coincidence. It's not a coinky dink, folks. <laughs> it's my head can in there. 
but Harry can also just make out the outline of a fine old house on the hillside, which he would know from the dream, but at this point doesn't seem to make that connection because Harry is also not in Ravenclaw. Well, that and he's also got a lot going on in his head right now. (laughs) (laughs) Another very slight difference is that in the book, instead of declaring the cup to be a port key, Cedric actually wonders if anyone told Harry that the cup was one. So that's a much more reasonable question than this is a port key. Like, thank you for stating the obvious. No, he actually takes it a step further and says, did anybody tell you it was going to be a port key? Mm Mm-hmm. Which I like the idea that they might have known it was a port key. But once they looked around and were like, hey, it's a graveyard. This doesn't look like Hogwarts. Well, and Harry actually goes on to wonder if it's all part of the task. Yeah. I mean, this is all about really testing you. Maybe you get to the middle of the maze and you get taken somewhere else and you have to face one last creature. God, that sucks. And it really tests you. I think it would have made perfect sense to have the quad wizard cup be a port key that once they touch it, it takes them back out of the maze. That's what I... And you just like appear in front of the audience and everyone cheers. Yeah. This sucks though. It really does. Anything that you touch that takes you to a graveyard sucks. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, so Harry's wondering if this could be part of the task. And Cedric's nervous and he's like, I don't know. Should we get our wands out just in case? And it specifically mentions that Harry was relieved that Cedric was the one who made that suggestion, not him. And I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, I think it's weird that it was even a question. Like, why wouldn't you take your wand out right away? No matter what. If you didn't see anyone you know right away, why wouldn't your first instinct be to grab the wand? It just kind of struck me as a strange thing to say. Yeah. Like Harry was relieved that he wasn't the one who had to make that suggestion? Why? Was he worried about looking stupid? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to add this on to our Potter Ponderings to see if our keepers have any ideas. Yeah, I definitely agree. Because it just seems, again, these are random things that on one hand you're like that's just something mentioned right but then you think about it and you're like but why Why? and sometimes things that are just mentioned are actually significant like we're getting to a huge one soon Mm -hmm. that we'll talk about then that it just seems like something said in passing but it actually matters yeah and i think she does that far more than she throws in something completely arbitrary like this seems to be yeah But it's one of those things that's always stuck with me. I'm always like, why is he relieved? I want to know. Brainstorm with us, folks. Yeah, help us figure this out. But they do both get their wands out just in time to hear somebody coming. So that's something. Not that it helps them in the long run. I mean, yeah. (laughs) They see a hooded and cloaked figure coming towards them that's carrying something that looks like a baby or a bundle of robes. They can't really make out anything else. Harry has a a little bit of his non-Ravenclaw moment where he actually lowers his wand a bit and he looks at Cedric and they exchange confused looks. But then they look back at this figure coming towards them and then all of a sudden, pain. Pain in the scar. Pain. I mean, maybe at first they were just like, oh, look, someone walking their baby. In a graveyard. (laughs) In a graveyard at night. Sure. Yeah. No, keep your wand up, dude. Yeah. (laughs) He drops to his knees from the pain, also ends up dropping his wand, and then he hears a high, cold voice say, 
kill the spare. This all happens a bit differently in the movie, though. What? Just a bit. Hmm, smidgen. <laughs> Harry is still stuck on his killer bout of deja vu, and he approaches the gravestone next to the statue and sees who it belongs to. Oh shit, Ellen, it's a bunch of dead riddles. This must be where jokes go to die. I love it when you join in the punning tomb foolery. Oh, I think I've made a grave mistake. Keep it coming, I'm just dying for you to make some more puns. I'll pass. Can't dig yourself out of this one. Oh, that remains to be seen. This has been quite the undertaking. Wow. Wow. Can we just keep rolling? Aw, oh, but we were killing it. Anyway. Wishing he would have worn his brown pants, he tells Cedric that they have to go back to the cup. Which, yeah, that should have been your first thought. <laughs> Once again, making us all wonder how he wasn't put in Ravenclaw, Cedric asks what Harry is talking about, since there is absolutely no reason they shouldn't have expected the cup to transport them to the middle of a creepy-ass graveyard. Seems reasonable. Obviously. Or not. <laughs> However... Harry's scarry sense starts tingling, and he drops to the ground in pain just as we hear a door creak open, and the one and only rat bastard himself comes out holding a bundle of something that just can't be good. So a difference here is that the movie pretty blatantly showed us it's rat bastard, mm -hmm. when the book at this point is still keeping it a mystery. Yeah. Harry tries one more time to get Cedric back to the port key, but it's... It's just too late. They're fucked. They're shit out of luck at this point. Wormtail makes his way towards the two as a fire erupts beneath a large black cauldron, which, again, not sure how they didn't notice that before. Right. But whatever. And we then get a view of Wormtail's little bundle of joy, which I can only call Baby Voldy Muppet. He's so ugly, he's kind of cute. Like that kind of Muppet, you know? Just... I know y'all know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, he wasn't as bad as I expected. Right? But seeing this ugh, adorable creature, Cedric decides to choose fight instead of flight and points his wand, demanding they tell him who they are and what they want. But before introductions can be made, Voldemuppet, obviously having gone without his nap today, commands Wormy to kill the spare. And... Being Voldy's little bitch, of course, he does just that, with a quick Avada Kedavra right at our poor dear Cedric. I'm loving the fact that Wormy rhymes with Kermy when you're talking about <laughs> Muppets. I just need to say that for you. Oh, Wormy! <laughs> you ruined it for me now. <laughs> so back to lining up. With Voldemort's Kill the Spare, mm -hmm. in the book, a second voice that we still don't know is Wormtail screeches, Avada Kedavra! And a blast of green light blazes through Harry's closed eyelids. I would have my eyelids closed too. Yeah. <laughs> he hears something heavy fall to the ground, which I can hear it and I don't like it, and I can mm -hmm. hear it and I don't like it. Yeah. But the pain in his scar becomes so intense he actually retches, so that sounds pleasant for him. I bet he would have done that even if his scar wouldn't have been bad. I probably would have too. You know? The pain then goes away and he opens his eyes very reluctantly because he does not... He knows what he's going to see, but he doesn't want to know what he's going to see. Yeah. In the movie, Harry screams as Cedric is thrown backward in a flash of green light, knowing that he is unable to do a 
goddamn thing. Like, he's just stuck there. Yep. Cedric does a couple of backflips through the air and lands on the hard ground, eyes open, but unseeing. And also super fucking dead, if you didn't catch that. Cedric is also dead in the book, Mm -hmm. lying spread eagle on the ground, so at least they got that detail correct. Yeah. Ding. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine if the movie was just like, oh no, we don't want Cedric to die, we'll let him live. (laughs) Cedric can keep going. It's okay, Cedric. But no, Cedric dies. Dedrick. Dedrick. Oomba Loomba Diggory's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that made me dizzy. Oh, I have verses to it. Oh, my God. My husband is dark and twisted. Wow. I'm not surprised. (laughs) I say wow, but I need everyone to understand. I'm not surprised at all. Anyway, for a second, Harry just stares at him in shock. And then he feels himself being pulled to his feet. The mysterious short man in the cloak had put down his bundle to start dragging Harry to a marble headstone. In the movie, we exert much less effort. (laughs) Wormtail just turns his wand on Harry. And before the boy can do anything, he is forced up and then back against the Grim Reaper statue who comes the fuck to life. And holds him in place with his big wheat-cutting knife thing. The scythe? Yeah, wheat-cutting knife thing. I said it right the first time. Trust me. (laughs) Synonyms. (laughs) Far as I can tell from reading this chapter, there wasn't any kind of Grim Reaper statue in the book. Well, then the book was missing a cool effect. Yeah, it did make a good recognizable landmark for Harry from his dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll give it that. It was just kind of neat, but I mean, unnecessary, really, when you think about it. But so was showing the dream four times. Well, there's that. <laughs> but anyway, Harry struggles against the stone statue as Voldy Muppet commands Wormtail to do it now, which sounds dirtier than it actually is, but is still pretty gross. Like, come on. It's bad. It's gross, right? It's not good. No, it's not pleasant. Never is with your Voldy Muppet involved. Not actually dirty, though. No, but still unpleasant. I'm going with it. The rat bastard turns his attention back to the giant cauldron. Bet you were wondering when that was going to come into play, huh? No. Really? Because there isn't a cauldron in this part of the book. But it's in the movie. Well, the movie's wrong. Ooh, now I'm getting deja vu. Also, it's at this point that Harry notices that the headstone he's about to be slammed into bears Tom Riddle's name. Not before Cedric was killed, like the movie had it. There's that. Also, also, since there is no Grim Reaper statue here to hold Harry in place with his scythe, the mystery man conjures cords to tie Harry from his neck to his ankles to the headstone. Which, I'm not gonna lie, just kind of makes me imagine the whole cartoon image of somebody just being fully wrapped in ropes all the way <laughs> down from neck to feet. Yeah. <laughs> also, 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 Harry struggles against being tied and the man hits him with a hand that has a finger missing. So now we know it's Wormtail. Well, it's about time. I've known for quite a while. We're catching up. Yeah. He calls him out, but Wormtail just ignores him and finishes tightening the cords. Once Harry's bound to the point that he can't even move a little bit, Rat Bastard retrieves some fabric from his cloak and just shoves it right in Harry's mouth before walking away. 
Yeah, somehow in the movies, not only do they not have, like, rope bondage, but there's also no gags in the mouth either, so. And here you were thinking it was dirty. Right? Turns out the book was dirtier this time. (laughs) New and different for me. Harry's bound so tightly he can only see directly in front of him, but it gives him a really nice view of Cedric's body. Aw, isn't that nice? And the quad wizard cup just beyond that, and the wand he dropped at Cedric's feet, which would probably be really helpful right now. Super helpful. He can also see the bundle that he thought might be a baby. And unlike in the movie, we don't yet know that it's an adorable Boldy Muppet. That is true. As it stirs fretfully, Harry feels another sharp pain in his scar and has absolutely no desire to see what's in the bundle. Clearly not a bundle of joy. No, not even a little. Mm-mm. Also in the book, Nagini is present in this section, and I don't believe we see her at all in the movie here. No, we don't actually. She's oddly missing. Yeah. But it's at this point that Wormtail returns, dragging a giant-ass cauldron that wasn't just hanging out ready to go the whole time. <laughs> he lights flames under it, And the liquid heats up ridiculously fast, like instantly beginning to bubble and then sending out these fiery sparks. In the movie, the cauldron actually just lights on its own the second Wormtail walks into the shot. But for seemingly no reason, like we have no idea why. But we also don't really see any bubbling or sparking on the surface. Yeah, it was just there. Yeah. And then fire. There was fire. And then nothing else about it for now. Yeah, that was about it. Yeah. It was just a cauldron in a graveyard. Yeah, that's not weird at all. No. But anyway, the high cold voice coming from the bundle of despair calls, Hurry! And when the whole surface starts sparking, Wormtail says that it's ready. Soup's on! I would not eat this. No. (laughs) Nor would I. Wormtail definitely uses way too much salt. Bad ingredients. Mm -hmm. All around. Facts. The bundle of despair says, Now! And Wormtail pulls open the robes, revealing an ugly, slimy, and blind, crouched, childlike figure. But it's a dark, raw, reddish black with these thin, feeble legs and a flat, snake-like face and gleaming red eyes. Which actually doesn't sound nearly as adorable as Voldy Muppet. Not even remotely. No. Like, I threw up in my mouth a little bit just imagining that. Yeah. That's just ew. That's not so ew. It's cute. That's just ew. Ugh. And then it raises its thin arms to put them around Wormtail's neck as he lifts it. And this causes Wormtail's hood to fall back, which gives Harry a really good look at the revulsion on his face. <laughs> so even Wormtail's just like, ugh. <laughs> good. He should have to deal with that. Yeah. I hope it makes him smell, too. I don't even want to think about what he (laughs) smells like. Anyway, Wormtail carries the creature to the cauldron and lowers it into the sparking liquid. And Harry's just like, oh, Merlin, let it drown. Oh, Merlin, let it drown. Oh, Merlin, let it drown. (laughs) Oh, Harry, things don't work out that well for you ever. Come on. But maybe this time? Keep holding your breath. We'll (laughs) see. In the movie, Wormtail holds Voldy Muppet up over the cauldron and tosses the little bastard in. Again, no sparks or bubbles. Like It looks like it might have been boiling, but you can't really tell. And the liquid just looks milky. 
Yeah. Which is an extra level of gross. Yeah. Like, ew. Voldy Muppet hits the contents of the cauldron with a splash and sinks down under its surface. And there's no mention of it, but Harry probably is hoping he will drown in the movie, too. Oh, Merlin, let him drown. Shit, I'm hoping that. It's gross. And if all of this wasn't creepy enough, Wormtail then points his wand at the grave next to the Grim Reaper statue, saying, Bone of the father, unwillingly given. As a legit bone levitates from the grave, which bears the name Tom Riddle, along with Mary and Thomas. And into the cauldron it goes with a splash and a little bit of fire. Just a little. Just for spice. This is fairly similar to the book. Though Wormtail actually says, Bone of the father unknowingly given, you will renew your son. So they messed up an adverb and omitted what the bone will actually do. And it would make more sense. Unknowingly makes more sense. Right. As opposed to unwillingly. Like, He's dead. How he is has he no will. <laughs> will is gone. Another difference is that Wormtail doesn't levitate a legit bone. All that's left is bone dust. He's like scraping the bottom of the barrel for it, basically. Yeah. The movie continues on with Wormtail putting his wand away at this point and continuing the incantation, saying, Flesh of the servant, willingly sacrificed, as he pulls out a dagger. Raising it in the air over his opposite hand, he legit slices his shit off. Like, seriously, he slices, he slices it off. Off. Just off. And, Gone. Oh, oh my god. Like, the movie earned its PG-13 rating, because that shit was nasty. <laughs> it was just nasty. Yeah. Understandably, since he is now a limb down, he screams like a little bitch, of mm -hmm. course. I would, too. If I'm going to admit it, I would, too. I can't imagine somebody cutting off their own hand and laughing about it. Right? That'd be even creepier. Ooh, I'm kind of glad he didn't do that. <laughs> Bellatrix would. Oh, yeah. Totally. But we see Harry in the background wincing, because, understandably, we all just winced. Like you do. Yep. And the hand also falls into the cauldron with yet another disgusting splash. Again, similar and different from the book. For one thing, Book Wormtail is way more whiny about this part. He's actually being a bitch the entire time. He... Starts whimpering when he pulls out the knife. He hasn't even done anything yet. He's just <laughs> crying. And what he actually says is flesh of the servant willingly given. I don't mind sacrifice there as much, but it does have more syllables. And I think that interrupts the flow of the whole incantation. Yeah. But anyway, it's flesh of the servant willingly given. You will revive your master. So again, we get to hear what the flesh is going to do. Mm-hmm. The whole idea. Yeah. But then he does just slice off his entire hand, choosing the one with the missing finger, so I gotta hand it to him. This was probably a good choice. Damn it, Ellen. No wince from Harry in the book. He just closes his eyes. He does not want to watch this. He he figures out what's about to happen before it happens. He's just like, I am not watching this. I mean, that's kind of a wince. It's just a bigger wince. There is that. So he doesn't watch it happen, but closing his eyes does nothing to block out Wormtail's piercing scream oh. or the sickening splash of the hand falling into the cauldron. Oh. 
And then even though his eyes are closed, he can still see through the eyelids that the potion turns a bright red. Which was not a detail they included in the film at all. Yeah, nothing really changed color with the potion. You mentioned the slight fiery spark, but... Yeah. And that was more or less the bone just catching fire and dropping in. And like I said, the milky kind of look to it, but it didn't change color. It didn't do anything. And that wouldn't have been that hard of an effect to throw onto it. And I think it would have added a really cool layer to the composition of the shot, too, because it was such a dark scene. It almost came across black and white. Mm -hmm. So it would have been neat to have that pop of red. Yeah, I would have liked that personally, but... Visually, aesthetically appealing. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. But Wormtail then turns to Harry and moves towards him, blade still out, coming right for Harry's arm. And as he cuts into Harry's shirt and then his goddamn arm, mind you, his (laughs) arm, Wormtail shakily says, Blood of the enemy, forcibly taken, as he gets him some enemy blood. Again? Similar and different from the book. Uh Uh-huh. Wormtail is still being a whiny bitch, yes. so there's a difference. I mean, he's like damn near crying. Mm-hmm. He can barely function. He's just keeping his shit together to finish this damn potion and incantation. But he does approach Harry with a knife. Mm-hmm. The movie even got the first half of this part of the incantation correct. Because in the book, it was also blood of the enemy forcibly taken. Yeah. But then it continued with the second half. You will resurrect your foe. Another difference is that then when Wormtail cuts right into Harry's arm, which, hey, arm again, too. Mm -hmm. But he actually slices him and then catches it in a glass vial and carries that to the cauldron to pour it in. This also turns the potion a blinding white. Yeah, again, that is a detail not included in the movie. No. And it could have been another visually interesting thing because they could have represented that with a lot more light in that section in such a dark scene mm-hmm. would have been interesting yeah yeah in the movie he just kind of like slices his arm which we haven't mentioned this yet but kudos to the sound editor on this movie Ugh. because Ugh. oh the, that slicing sound the slicing and the squelching and the dripping and the, oh it was all yeah yeah <laughs> Anyway, he just drips the blood, like, right from the dagger into the cauldron. Doesn't catch it in a vial. Nope. And then he finishes the incantation by saying, The Dark Lord shall rise again! As the entire cauldron catches fire, and he runs off. Which, I mean, something's on fire I'm running to, so I get that. Aren't you supposed to stop, drop, and roll? Nah, I'm a run. (laughs) I'm a run. That's only if you're on fire. Fair. If I'm not on fire, I'm taking the fuck off. But anyway, Harry screams in pain as flames engulf the entire thing until the cauldron just completely disappears. Again, Bookworm Tail is a way bigger bitch because instead of running away, he just collapses to the ground sobbing. Now, granted, there aren't flames for him to run from in this situation. True. But he is on the ground, clutching his stump, just bawling his eyes out. I mean, he did just lose the hand. But my point is, he was not doing that in the movie. Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. The cauldron also doesn't disappear, and Harry just watches as it simmers, and he continues to hope something went really wrong or that it drowned. (laughs) Merlin, please let it drown. (laughs) But all of a sudden, the sparks go out, 
and white steam begins billowing from the cauldron, which I repeat, does not disappear completely or at all. No, not even a little bit. That is one solid cauldron. And through the mist, Harry sees the dark outline of a tall and thin man rising from the cauldron. Right up and out of it. Because it was a giant-ass cauldron that could fit a man. Mm-hmm. And apparently it needed to. So now we know why it was so big. Because a man's coming out of it, yeah. A high, cold voice says, rope me! Which was our trivia question. Yep. And a sobbing worm tail fetches the black robes from the ground and pulls them one-handed over his master's head. I just feel like this had to have been the most awkward thing to see, and I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to see it happen in the movie. Granted, like we said before, it would have meant Voldemort comes up out of the cauldron completely butt-ass naked. Yeah. I don't know that I'm ready to see that. They had to keep that PG-13 rating that they created, yeah. cutting off Wormtail's hand. Mm-hmm. Couldn't go beyond that. No. But the second that Voldemort speaks, Harry is just, like, frozen in fear. Like, icy surge of terror is the way the book described it. Which, I mean, that's pretty understandable, right? Oh, uh, yeah. The person who murdered your parents is back? That's a brown pants situation right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But so Voldemort steps out of the cauldron. And I got to tell you, I'm just imagining this. Voldemort is standing in a cauldron and short worm tail is one handed trying to get robes up and over him while he's <laughs> in the cauldron. <laughs> the logistics of it are super entertaining and I want to see it. They really are. You kind of wonder if at some point he went, okay, arms up, Voldy. Right. <laughs> but he steps out of the cauldron and just stares directly at Harry. Who, to give him credit, stares straight back. I mean, that's pretty badass. Yeah. He stares right into that white face that has livid scarlet eyes and snake-like slits for nostrils that had haunted his dreams for the past three years. Just looks right at it. I mean, that's badass. It also might be because he's still frozen in fear and can't look away. Well, that there's that too, but let's just go ahead and think that he's being badass. Because... Lord Voldemort has risen again. He has. He's back. Dun, dun, dun. And this is the end of the book chapter. It's similar-ish in the movie. Aside from the part where Voldemort steps out of the cauldron. Because, you know, didn't do that. Instead, it all seems to burn away in some kind of toxic Avenger origin story nightmare. And all that's left is an adult-sized form of the twisted body that went into the cauldron, now twisting and kind of writhing midair. I just gotta say, the word writhing really paints a picture there. It does. That's why I used it. Yeah. Not a good one. This isn't supposed to be a good one. But so. writhing. It's just that word. It just, ugh, it sounds, Mm-hmm. Creepy crawly almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as the large ball of flesh begins to take shape into a somewhat human form, it's surrounded by a black fog that materializes into billowy robes that would just make Snape wet with envy. Like, they're billowy as fuck. They're pretty impressive. They really are. I gotta say, having them materialize like that was a neat effect. Yeah. And probably looked cooler and more magical than my hilarious imagining of Wormtail trying to get the robes <laughs> one-handed up and over Voldemort's head while he's standing in a cauldron. Very true. So, okay, 
I can accept this change. I like it because it means we don't have to see n- any more naked Voldy Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Voldy Muppet anymore. No. He's a real boy. No, but I just wanted to say Voldy Muppet one more time. It's fair. <laughs> Speaking of Voldemort, he takes stock of his head, making sure it's all there as he takes a deep breath and opens his eyes, which start off kind of snake-like and slitty, not slutty but slitty right you know not shitty (laughs) slitty slitty i'm picking up what you're throwing down okay good glad you're coming with me but then they turn this like really pretty blue which i have to say is a lot less intimidating than the red eyes that i was promised in the freaking book maybe the contacts hurt his eyes Methinks they need to find a new contacts provider that just seems to be the excuse It's a shit excuse. Especially since, hello, digital effects, it's not even that hard to change eye color. I know, but we blew our digital effects budget on dragons and fucking merpeople. Mersins. Ellen, we couldn't even have a goddamn Dementor. They already had those made, for fuck's sake. Right? (sighs) 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 New all! But Wormtail steps up to his newly formed master in shock and awe as Voldemort gives a little chuckle, but avoids giggling like a young girl at the success of his dumbass peon. Probably the right call there. No one takes you seriously if you giggle like a girl. Blue-eyed giggling? Not intimidating. (laughs) Sorry. Not so much. But this is where we'll end the movie scene. Theoretically, we could talk about Rafe Fiennes here, but since he hasn't yet done much... We're going to push it to the next episode and just sort of focus on our first impressions of the look here. Yeah. So obviously, I'm sure you gathered that we weren't super thrilled with the blue eyes. No, the blue eyes, that bothered me a lot. They went through all the trouble to get rid of the nose, but they couldn't just give him some red eyes. Right. I mean, I don't know if they thought that might be too scary. He's supposed to be. We just watched a dude slice his hand off. Right. Come on. But even Voldy Muppet was way cuter than he had any right to be based on the book description. That is true. Like, I wanted that thing to look like a baby fucking flayed demon. Right? I was thinking something along the lines of, like, Rosemary's baby. Yeah. You know, not cute little Voldy Muppet. He was adorable. He kind of was. I kind of wanted to pinch his cheeks. Like, a little bit. Okay, a lot. I mean, ugh, adorable, but... Ugh, adorable, definitely. Ugh, adorable. <laughs> but yeah, it was not quite what I expected. And with everything else that they did, I'm a little disappointed with the lack of the ick factor from it. Mm-hmm. Like, he was not supposed to be attractive. And did you see his arms? Oh, dude. He had it going on. Like, the only thing wrong with him was the nose. Yeah. Because bald is beautiful. Like, right, exactly. you don't have to have hair to look good. Exactly. His nose was definitely a little bit weird, but he was pale. I mean, he was pale. Yeah, he was pale. Got to put on some extra sunblock at the beach. But beyond that, I was like, you're not scary. Yeah. You're just a dude without a nose. Like, that's unfortunate. That's not scary. It's unfortunate. Right. But I guess they were a little snake-like, but also he was supposed to be like very snake-like, like not even have lips. And he had some luscious lips. Mm-hmm. He did. And his eyes were, they started out snake-like, but then when he like blinked for a second, 
they're just normal eyes. It's like the person who was supposed to do that special effect got fired. Yeah. Or just didn't show up to work that day. <laughs> right. I don't know what happened there. But I especially, that is my biggest thing. Like, I can get past the lips. Mm-hmm. I can just appreciate his arms. Right. But the lack of red eyes will forever not haunt me because they should have haunted me. And think, too, it's the same concept as we were talking about with the red bubbling liquid in the cauldron. Think of how awesome it would have been to have those bright red eyes just pop. Right. In that scene. That scene was so dark and it was so just monochrome. You know, if we would have had those brilliant red eyes. Snake-like eyes. Yes. Too. Because they always describe him as being cat-like slits for mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. Which like, is also very snakeish. So. Yeah. But no, we didn't get any of that. I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all other aspects, I can let everything else slip. The eyes just bother me, though. Yeah. I will say that I felt like he did have spider-like hands. White oh, spider-like yeah. hands. Like, the and the nails on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was creepy. It was good. Yeah. When he goes to grab his wand, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in the next episode, but when he goes to grab his wand and it's like, holy crap, son. You got some long phalanges there, sir. Phalange. <laughs> and then, of course... The way that he played the character, we'll end up talking a lot more about. We'll get to that, obviously, but just on first sight, little underwhelmed. Yeah. Which actually brings us right into our Potter pondering. It does. What were your thoughts the very first time you saw a fully returned Voldemort in the movie? And then we also want your thoughts on why Harry was relieved that Cedric was the one who suggested they get their wands back out and that he didn't have to do it mm-hmm. any ideas there let us know we're curious yeah we want to hear your thoughts so find the post on our facebook page and share them with us or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer and then of course you can Record it and email it to us as well at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Celia Slayton. She writes, when the books came out and we could be sorted, I was in Gryffindor. I recently had to redo it again and I was sorted into Ravenclaw. My wand is Vine and my Patronus is a wildcat. I was in middle school when the book came out, and my mom wanted a book for my brother to read. I was, slash am, the bookworm in the family, and I remember going to the book fair in his elementary school, and I saw the cover. I said, well, it's a boy on the cover. Magic. I don't see why he wouldn't like it. A whole month passed, and he never touched the book, so I grabbed it and instantly fell in love. After that, my mom started getting me the books, and would make it into a big deal for me. When I got to my junior year in high school, I met my best friend who also loved Harry Potter, and whenever there was a book release, we would stand in line and wait for our books together and read them together. Having someone to talk to about it is the best. My daughter started reading the books last year, and then COVID hit and she had to return her copy back to school. I let her use my copy. I'm very possessive. And she started them up again a few months ago, and she just finished Deathly Hallows. And now, hopefully, we'll be watching the movie tonight. 
I hope they did watch the movie. Me too. I love it when parents share it with their kids. I love the fact that she mentioned how great it is to have somebody to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. Because I know you had groups growing up. Yes. But I never did. I was like a closeted Harry Potter fan who couldn't admit it to people because I was end of high school beginning of college when i first started to get into it yeah and the guy i was dating at the time was super resistant at first although once he got to see the first movie he was like i want to play quidditch and that was all i needed but by then we were on the outs so it didn't matter yeah i was like whatever (laughs) and then it was just i didn't know anybody in college that liked the books yeah and i at least worked in a bookstore so i got to keep ties to it like i got to dress up like hermione to deliver them Mm -hmm. for the fifth book for order of the phoenix but for people to talk to about it, I didn't have that. So it's amazing that we have each other now. Yes. It's really, really awesome. I was very fortunate when I first got into Harry Potter by finding all my groups. and Because I don't know what I would have done without them. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> it was a sad, lonely time. Yeah. Like, even my best friend at the time, she would make fun of me so bad about Harry Potter. It was actually funny because I would talk to her about fan fiction that I was reading. And she got more into fan fiction about Harry Potter than she did about Harry Potter at first. (laughs) I just didn't have friends. (laughs) (laughs) You had friends. They just weren't as cool as me. There is that. But now you've got me. So, yay. The world has righted itself. Mm -hmm. And now we have all of our amazing keepers. And people like Celia to send us their stories. And... It's amazing. Yeah. And thank you so much for sending it to us. This was such a great story. Mm-hmm. It got us to reminisce a little bit too. I love that. I like these moments. <laughs> but if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also just message it to us over social media. And like we said, you could start calling it in and just reading it yourself if you wanted. Facts. That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, in the book, which Death Eater throws himself at Voldemort's feet and begs for his forgiveness? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag I do not forgive, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 33, The Death Eaters, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.